0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host, Cody Wagner. Here we'll discuss everything related to the wide world of automobiles, including culture, news, games, interviews, and events. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey hey everyone, welcome to today's Sunday special. We are doing back-to-back Viper stories, kind of unplanned, but I'm a little bit tired today so I decided I should do a story that I really actually want to read so I can give off the best energy possible and we are going to be reading, as I said, a Viper article. This one comes from Hot Rod Magazine on their website and it is called How the Viper Engine Got Its Horsepower, The New Ram Chargers. We talk Viper engines from 1994 to 2014 and beyond. Written by Elena Scher, I hope I got that right. The article came out in June 2016 of 2014. Let's get into it. Chrysler has always had an odd relationship with its motorsport involvement. No kidding. No kidding. Never as officially hands off as GM, nor as destroy all enemies no matter the cost as Ford. Even in the heyday of powerful Pentastars during the development of the 426 Hemi, there was a relatively small number of engineers working on racing projects. Many of the famous Ram Chargers spent their own time and money to get cars out to the track for testing and grassroots marketing. Judging by the Chrysler engineers we met at Summit Motorsports Park during Power Tour 2014, the spirit of the independent Ram Charger is still alive and well. There were several Dodge, sometimes SRT, Vipers on Power Tour, and three of them were straight from Detroit, with current or former Viper engineers behind the wheel. We, well, me for sure, but I think the rest of HRM2 really like the Viper. We like its history of being a big American brute of a car and declaring with a V10 roar that Corvettes are for sissies. And we like its current refinement into a modern muscle car that's... I don't like saying that, but I digress, that we gli- that we gladly make our daily driver. Talking about the Viper with some of the men who made it happen was pretty neat. And we sense some of the same passion and competitiveness that we admire in in the original Ram Chargers in... Shouldn't it be that we admire from the original? Okay, that we admire from the original Ram Chargers in the current crop. These guys take the Viper personally. They're irritated that Dodge isn't out in the fray with Camaro and Mustang. And they seem pretty excited about the upcoming Hellcat Challenger. I wanted to bring the Hellcat down for this, said Viper powertrain engineer Dick Winkles. I think we should have had it here. This last bit was said with just the slightest hint of frustration, as if the powers that be had rejected his suggestion. Winkles did manage to snag a 14 Viper for the day, though, and he made some pretty solid 11-second passes on a track that was a bit slick from drag strip newbies rolling through the water boxes on street tires. We had a chance, sorry, when when he had a chance, we sat down and talked Viper engines. The 2014 V10 is rated at 640 horsepower, that's a big number from a small, legal naturally-aspirated production engine, even if it does have two extra cylinders, oh wait, even if it does have two extra cylinders. How did the Viper engineers get from the original 400 horses to more than 600, and what does the future hold for performance engines? First, obviously, we start with the Gen 1 from 1992 to 1995, it had 400 horsepower and 460 pound-feet of torque. The Viper engine has been disparagingly called a truck motor due to the V10 configuration which seems at first glance to be similar to that of the Dodge truck line and the initial prototype being an iron block sorry and the initial prototype being an iron iron block didn't help its reputation but Viper engineers hate to hear that. It's an aluminum block based loosely off the small block Chrysler V8 says winkles. It's not the truck engine. If you went through it, we shared like one part, a bolt or something. It was more like the A engine. Think fuel-injected and fancied up 340. How did Chrysler develop an aluminum engine? Well, at the time, Chrysler owned Lamborghini. Remember that? The big bull was under the Ram from 1987 to 1994. Winkles was over in Italy during the initial design of the Viper prototype, working on Lambo V10 engines. So when the decision was made to go with an aluminum 10-cylinder in the Viper, he was put on the engine team. I came back from Italy and heard, you're on the Viper now. We had some design help from Lamborghini to convert iron to aluminum. You can't just cast the same block, aluminum requires different strengthening ribs, has different cooling characteristics, Lamborghini does- oh wait, and has different cooling characteristics. Lambo designed the water jackets, they had a lot of experience with multi-cylinder aluminum engines. Then we had the Gen 2 from 1996 to 2002. That made 450 horsepower and 490 pound-feet of torque. The Gen 1 Viper was a very solid piece of machinery. Perhaps more solid than necessary. The V10 weighed something like 700 pounds. Winkle says the first place they went for more horsepower in the second generation was scrape, was... I think that's a scraping. Was... Scr- yeah. Was scraping some metal off that big old motor. In Gen 1, we overdesigned everything. It had to be bulletproof. I can't blame people for thinking it's the truck engine. It certainly looks like one. The Gen 2 objective was to lose weight. The heads are much more sculpture i can't remember exactly but i think we took 60 or 80 pounds out of the engine our target was 450 horsepower we changed cam profiles it has more aggressive ramps, but no real change to duration and overlap the main changes were in the exhaust we had a lot of noise restrictions and we knew that if we went out the rear of the car that helps with sound so no side exits nope Staff editor Brandon thinks a Viper with, a, with rear exhaust is not a Viper, just so you know in case you're planning on buying him one for Christmas. After that, we, got to, we get to the Gen 3, which lasted from 2003 to 2006. That had 500 horsepower and 525 pound-feet of torque. Bigger is better, so the Viper engine grew a bit in 2003. Something else important happened at the same time. Want to guess? Well, if you always wonder why the Viper wasn't a Hemi-powered machine, it's because it predates the return of the Hemi engine. In 2003, Dodge introduced the Gen 3 Hemi, but by then the Viper was pretty well established and designed around the big V10. Despite that, Winkle says the Viper did pull some parts from its new Hemi brethren, and it bumped up the horses to half a thou. The desire was 500 horse. We increased the displacement, from 488 cubic inches to 505 cubic inches, with a larger bore and longer stroke. It shares a common rod and piston design with the Hemi. In 2004, we went to a powdered metal rod. We changed the ports. The big difference in the Gen 3 engine was how good the ports were. What was it they learned about porting that they hadn't known in 1992? Airflow science evolved. In the early days, you couldn't cast or machine the way you wanted. CNC was so expensive. You were limited by the foundry. We started using CFD, Computational Fluid Dynamics, programs that allow you to optimize the design to reduce losses. The combustion chamber was improved, the runners on the intake manifolds were shortened for more RPM. We went back to a side exhaust, which had crossover pipes to to tune out sounds and keep back pressure. The downside was heat in the cabin. We called that crossover the Ring of Fire. We were experimenting with active noise cancellation, but the speakers weren't durable enough at the time. So that's that's a really interesting thing to note is that they were experimenting with active noise cancellation, but they they it's that they were too they weren't durable enough. I would have thought that given the Viper being a Viper, it would have been too heavy or just Well, actually primarily that it wouldn't that it would have been too heavy, but no, the speakers for that system just weren't durable enough, which is quite interesting. I do find it perhaps not completely surprising, but interesting that the Hemi engine. Well, the Viper engine predates the Hemi, even though they did use a few parts. And as we learned, actually, that man, I'm glad I did that article. As we learned from that other Gen 5 article, I think it was last week, the Viper engine is a he- heavily developed wedge, and Hemi heads are too wide. They wouldn't, a Hemi headed Viper engine wouldn't fit between the frame rails because it's too wide. So, unfortunately, while that's not quite said here, we now know that from the prior article that I read, and that was a car and driver article. So not only did the Viper engine predate the return of the Hemi, Hemi heads just wouldn't fit. After that, we have the Gen 4, which lasted from 2008 to 2010. That had 600 horsepower, we all know that, and 560 pounds feet of torque. The Gen 4 Viper engine is really an impressive use of modern engine technology. I bought a Gen 4 Viper myself, Winkle said, and we noticed that several of the other engineers were also rocking the 08, 09, and, and 10 Snakes. It's always very telling to look at what the factory guys are driving All Are driving although though? I think I meant to be, though. It's always, te- it's always very telling to look at what the factory guys are driving, though. The father of the 426 Hemi, Bill Wurtman, I hope I got that right, drove a six-cylinder wagon. So there are always exceptions. Back to the Viper. The car was in trouble. The emissions rules made it nearly impossible to make horsepower in the old-school way by simply making lobes and cylinders bigger. Carb came to us and basically said, Thou shalt not continue to build this car. And we didn't know what to do, Winkles recalls. The main problem was OBD requirements, mainly misfire detection readings. With a large overlap cam, that causes difficulty with misfire detection. With a big engine and a lot of cylinders, it's really hard to detect a misfire. And so the readings were not meeting regulations. We had to reduce dilution in the cylinder at light load, and that's caused by overlap. If we went to a fixed camshaft, that would meet the requirements, but we'd lose 100 horsepower. And we could not have the Viper come out with less horsepower than previous years. We looked at high energy ignition, reed valves in the manifold, none of that would work. While we were testing, we found that exhaust load position affected misfire at low speed combustion. Mechadyne had come, had come to us in the past about its cam in cam tech. That's a cam, which is a shaft inside a tube, so you can independently time either intake or exhaust. It's not a new idea, it goes back to the 30s, but Mechadyne had a modern patent. It's a very complex change, so we hadn't hadn't done anything with it until we ran into the car problems. Originally, we wanted to do VVT, variable valve timing, on both intake and exhaust. We had problems with the dual phaser, so we decided to go with fixed intake and varied exhaust. Varying the intake might have gained some more low-end power, but the Viper isn't exactly down on torque. Making it work was a huge undertaking. We were the first production car to use cam-in-cam tech. Others had VVT with dual overhead cams, but not cam-in-cam. One side benefit was the exhaust note control allowed by the VVT. It cooled the passenger compartment down. So was the cam what made the 100 horsepower jump? No, no, that is not what made the extra horsepower. The big difference, the big bump, was the cylinder heads. We went to a CNC port. The airflow improvement from Gen 3 to Gen 4 was about 60 of the 100 horsepower we made. The intake was another bump. We went to 8.4 liters or 510 cubic inches and commonized the piston with the Hemi, a cast piston. Cast pistons actually make more horsepower. They do? Why? You can make a more complex shape with a cast piston with a multi-part mold, but a Force Piston can be more durable and has a performance reputation. Which is probably why Hemis aren't as boost-friendly as certainly 50, 5.0 Coyotes and maybe LSs, because they don't have Force Pistons. And I have to wonder if anyone's ever thought about taking the Gen 5 Force Pistons and trying to put them in, I don't know, 6.4... well, well yeah, I'm trying to put them in 6.4 Hemis, maybe 5.7s. And then lastly, we have the Gen 5, from 2012 to, it says present, but now would be 2017, so... (laughs) As we all know, it makes 640 horsepower, 645 in 2015, and 600 pound-feet of torque. Perhaps because of the performance reputation of forging, the Gen 5 Viper went back to a forged piston. No 100 horsepower jumps this time. Winkle says the latest V10 is an exercise in refinement. Hopefully I said exercise and not exercise, because I feel like I got that wrong, but I digress. When we went back to a fourth piston, we looked at a lot of piston options and they would all be a 20 horsepower loss or more. We, end up, we ended up choosing mall and only lost 3 to four horsepower, which we made up for in other improvements. The intake is now plastic, which is 12 pounds lighter and has better thermal characteristics. We evened out the intake runners and got about 12 horsepower. We picked up, we picked up 10 to 12 from a cam change, 5 from a high-flow cat. It's all about little improvements what will we see in the future? I feel the Viper engine is at the zenith of a naturally aspirated cabin block two-valve engine. There aren't any large stones unturned. You could make over 800 horsepower if you didn't have to pass emissions, but we do. Emissions will force the downsizing of engines, so that will mean more power adders in the future. And what are we seeing now? To be fair though, I kind of think anyone could have called that because 2012, 2013, we were really starting to see a lot of turbocharged cars. I mean, look at the I think it was 20, like, mid to late 2013, we saw the introduction of the F80 M3. What did that have? I think that had twin turbos. And that was a big change from the E92 M3, which we all know was naturally aspirated. And then you had the E46 M3, once again, naturally aspirated. So we were already starting to see the shift to, to more performance cars, and to some extent more cars as a whole, with power adders. So there you go, the snake trail to 640 horsepower. Anyway, though, I do hope you all enjoyed this episode. I hope you found that educational, especially considering we talked a little bit about the engine in that last article from Car and Driver last week. If you did enjoy, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Hitting a little notification bell, and then all notifications, that way you'll be notified every... Oh, wait, well, that's if you're watching on YouTube. But yeah, if you are watching on YouTube... Don't forget to hit the little notification bell after you subscribe, and then all notifications, that way you'll be notified every time I upload. If I hadn't said it already, please like like the episode, share the episode, and follow the podcast. If you are if you want to listen to this podcast on the road, but don't have or want the Podbean mobile app, well then just move up wherever you get your podcast. Type in Cody's Car Conundrum before you set off, and then choose the episode that you want to listen to. I hope you all enjoyed. I'll see you next time. You've just listened to me probably ramble about some cars, if I'm being honest.